Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Sheeland. And I'm the other host, Asia Bonilla. We're back this week to discuss the first half of of the chapters of Percy Jackson and the Titan's Curse by Rick Riordan. So that's chapters 1 through 10. Yep. And just for anyone who's new to our show, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network, and we take a book club approach to reading and rereading young adult literature. We're best friends, and we've always wanted to share certain childhood and adolescent books with each other, so we figured we'd turn those discussions into a podcast for anyone else who wants to join in. So right now we're on book three of the Percy Jackson series, and I wanted to share this with Charles, who's never read it. And because he's new to the books, he gets to summarize the reading in case anyone in our audience didn't get to read along with us this week. So Charles, can you get into the summary for us? Sure. First 10 chapters of Percy Jackson and the Titan's Curse. We jump in with Percy and Annabeth and Talia going to a school to help Grover recover two new demigods. This inevitably leads to a big fight with a Dr. Thorne, who turns out to be a manticore, but the fight is cut short by the goddess Artemis and her hunters showing up. One of the new half-bloods joins the hunters, and then Artemis leaves to track a monster, and the demigods travel back to the camp with the hunters via Apollo, the god Apollo's help. At camp, there's a big capture the flag game between the campers and the hunters. And then Delphi, the oracle, comes out of the house to make a very dramatic prophecy. The camp holds a council to discuss the prophecy, and they make a plan to save Artemis. And then the quest crew sets out. Percy follows the crew on a pegasus and then watches the general, Thorn, and Luke doing some pretty evil stuff. Percy goes to warn the questers about the evil stuff, and they all have to fight the Nemean lion. And then they we get we basically finish with them having beaten the lion, waiting to fight the zombie skeletons. So I'll jump into my first impression really quickly, which was that we started pretty much in media res with no catch-up from the last book. The other two books have started in the summer or near the end of the school year. This book starts in the middle of winter. So it's new, and also we start with no explanation of the friendships developing. We don't really know what happened after Tali was resurrected at the end of last book, or what happened in between. It just starts with Percy saying, I'm with my two friends, and then nothing really gets filled in. And it's not a problem. By the end of the reading, I didn't even remember that. But it was my first impression, my first stark impression when I started reading it, was we didn't really get any explanation of the in-between window. But Asia, what about your first impression? Definitely same thing. We kind of start with just some action. And I feel like the main thing I was thinking is, wow, I don't remember this book, at least not the beginning. But definitely as we got deeper into the chapters later on, things started coming back to me. I definitely have a lot of predictions in this episode of what I think is going to happen in the latter half of this book. And it can't be spoilers because I don't know for sure, but I'm using my previous knowledge to make an educated guess. But yeah, that's basically all for my first impression. 
Also, I mean, I don't feel like anything can be a... I mean, I guess it can be a spoiler, but these books came out so long ago. (laughs) Is it really a spoiler when people have had over a decade to read them? Well, anyway, let's just jump in to chapter one. And we do start to get some answers of Talia that she's about their age and school year. She's Annabeth and Percy's current age, or we think so. It's sort of unclear because she was a tree, but it kind of sounds like now... That when she became a tree, she was the current age that Annabeth and Percy are, so she's, like, linked up with them. At least that's what we start with. And we find out that she already knows how to manipulate the mist, which means that Chiron taught her since she was resurrected because she never was a camper before. Yeah. Because she arrived to camp, which means that Chiron taught her since she was resurrected and hasn't taught Percy so, like, we're already starting to see some pretty cool Talia powers. Yeah, and I that definitely starts to get to Percy. He's definitely, he starts to show a little bit of jealousy, not only with her powers, but just with her whole seniority. Everybody looks to her to lead, which, you know, before she was resurrected, that was Percy. So he's definitely feeling a little down about that, and that is starting to cause a little bit of a rift between the two of them. But we also, I noted that we talked a little bit last episode, I think it was last episode, about how Percy's fatal flaw could be that he's too chivalrous and how he's so willing to sacrifice himself. But I think now he's feeling even more pressure that he needs to prove himself to be just as competent as Talia, since she's also a kid of a big three, that he kind of has competition now because before he was the only kind of like big man on campus with powers and everything. So there's definitely like a little bit of pressure, even if they're not meant to compete and they do seem to be friendly, but that definitely is something that's just naturally going to be there. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense. I mean, when Talia is resurrected, he literally says something along the lines of, she could be my best friend or my worst enemy. And so, and you're absolutely right that they both are going to be sort of put on a pedestal. And for better or for worse, that's all Percy's known in the mythology world. He's always sort of been on the pedestal because he's been the only big three kid. So I'm glad that he and Talia are friends because they do seem to have a pretty functional dynamic. But I think that it makes perfect sense that there's already some tension. Also, they're of the age of where anything anyone else does bothers you. Yeah. They're teenagers. Yeah, well, something else I wanted to bring up from chapter one is when Annabeth makes a comment about how demigods can't live in San Francisco because there's something there. I just wanted to know, Charles, did you notice that? And do you have any ideas what that could be? Because I don't remember that at all and I'm totally lost. I don't either. I did note it. It was on my notes and it was on yours. And I was like, yes, this is definitely something that I noticed. Because Annabeth does that thing where she's like, duh, Percy, I can't go to San Francisco. And Percy's got to be like, yeah, you can't go to San Francisco, even though he has no idea why. So (laughs) I don't know either. For a second, I was like, is this a big plot hole? And someone forgot that the underworld is in LA. But that's not it. Like, it's got to be about San Francisco. No, I I do think that I'm hoping that this is something that will come up later 
in this mm-hmm. book, if not later in the series, especially when we hear the prophecy, they are again going west. So maybe they will be led to San Francisco. But I don't remember anything specific about San Francisco right now. Yeah, me either. And that is also in the same conversation where Annabeth says something that she wants to tell Percy, but she doesn't get to because they spot the kids are gone. Asia, do you have any thoughts on that? I don't know what she was in that moment. I didn't know what she was going to say. And I just think it's funny that Riordan really likes to leave those cliffhanger moments. I feel like throughout the books, but later on, which we can talk about a little bit more later, Grover finds a brochure for Artemis, Artemis's hunters. So maybe that's what she wanted to tell Percy, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's what it is, but that is suggested later on. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's something bigger than that, but I I don't remember. I think it has to do with Talia. I think it has to, I think it's got to be, or I think it has to do something bigger for sure. Or I think it could be something to do with her family too, but I, I don't remember that specific detail. And we also have to figure out who this general is that they keep talking about. Yeah, I have no idea. I was wondering if you had any ideas. Because he's kind of described to us in Chapter 9, but he just kind of sounds like a tan, handsome man, right? Yeah, we meet, well, we get to see him. We get an image of him, and Percy sees him, but he obviously doesn't recognize who this person is. He's obviously connected to the Titans in some way, because he's, I think he even mentions that he's Kronos's, like, right-hand man. So I don't remember, but I think it could be one of the because do the tight did the Titans also have children like how some of the gods are Zeus's children and stuff, mm-hmm. but they're not. Yeah, there are other gods. Titans. Yeah, so, there yeah. are other Titans that are might be not the same generation as Kronos, but are still Titans. So I think maybe he could be one of those, but yeah. that's that would be my best bet. Okay, we'll definitely be tracking that, and I'm sure we'll get an answer. Hopefully we'll get an answer in the second half of the book. Mm-hmm. Either way, getting into some action, we find out that Grover has gotten a lot better at the pipes because he kind of uses them as a spell, which is pretty cool. And clearly we have Tali and Annabeth and Percy have a team dynamic. The way Percy talks about Tali, like, charging people down. Like, there's definitely a vibe that these, they're like a kind of a crew and they work well together. But of course, it totally gets interrupted by the hunt, and then Annabeth falls away with the manticore. Yes. And did you realize that Annabeth hadn't died? That she had been, they describe her as she's lost or she's been taken? Did you? No, I just figured that she like fell. And then, or like that, but I figured that she was going to fall, but then it kind of says that she kind of dissolve-ish, like evaporate things, right? Well, they explain how I think even Artemis chimes in and because Percy obviously wants to jump over the cliff after her and she's like, you can tell that like she didn't land in the ocean below. And even Percy's like, yes, I think that if she was in the ocean, he would have been able to sense her presence Mm -hmm. with his like obviously connection to the ocean. So it's this idea of at some point in their fall, they disappeared just like maybe how like how Percy's mom disappeared Mm -hmm. into gold dust in the first book so definitely something else is going on and also again annabeth's the main character 
they're not going to kill her yet. Oh, yeah. I didn't think that she would die. Like, at least she and Percy have to be in love. Come on. We can't get the cheat kiss and then <laughs> have that be gone. <gasps> the cheat kiss. Well, we'll just put that into our list of questions for the next episode. I was hoping you would could answer it, but I didn't think that we would have any answers for these things. So we'll see. But I would like to the record to reflect that as soon as Talia refers to the hunters as the people who are interrupting, I knew it was Artemis. I knew that it was going to be the goddess Artemis. She's the goddess of the hunt. Did you see that coming, Asia? I knew that it was the group of hunters, but I definitely didn't know which goddess it was by name. I knew it was the goddess with her hunters. I'm definitely not as well-versed, again, in ancient Greek mythology. But you knew more. a god was going to show up. Oh, for sure, because I, I also remember that scene from the book. Like, I do remember that part from re like rereading it, so... Mm. I knew it for that reason. I, if I was reading it for the first, like when I read it for the first time, maybe not. But I remembered that. So I knew, but I just didn't know, like, it was Artemis specifically. Like, I just didn't make that connection. Also, what is the beef between Zoe and Talia? And who is Zoe? She's clearly someone who's important, or at least she'll be important this book. Yeah. But what is this beef between the two of them? I I don't know, but there's something there, and... I definitely think we'll find out later on. Yeah. And so we go ahead and we meet more about the hunt. Do you want to just review the hunt for our listeners? Sort of how much you remembered of the hunt and sort of what the deal is? Do you want to like explain that? Yeah. So as we were reading this, or as I was reading this, as the hunters were coming in and setting up camp and everything, I was a lot was coming back to me and I remembered, and this also helped me. This is where I said my theories and predictions come in because if I remember correctly, this is what I think is going to happen. And I'm the kind of person who doesn't like to be wrong. So I'm just trying to put out my ideas now so that I can just have a clear hypothesis for what I think is going to happen. But I noted that before Artemis actually explains what the hunter's oath is that they take, I knew that Artemis definitely offers a life, a, an alternative life for female half-blood. So instead, they don't have to go to Camp Half-Blood. They can join her group of hunters, but they essentially have to denounce their original godparent. So cut ties, basically, and live their life to serve Artemis. And I assume that that's what Zoe did. And... I was already knowing that Bianca, the new half-blood that we've just met, I knew she was going to do it. I remembered that specifically. And my prediction is that I think at some point in the end of the book, I think Talia is going to join the hunt, which like doesn't make sense right now, obviously, because she hates Zoe. She hates the hunters. But I'm pretty sure that's the plot twist. Is that a spoiler? I feel like that's a spoiler. But I don't know for sure. I just, we talked about this last episode about how with Talia and Percy being the two kids of the big three, one of them has to be for the prophecy. And as we're soon going to find out and we're going to talk about is Apollo reveals that Talia is only a week away from turning 16. So either the prophecy is about to come and happen with Talia in a week 
or she's not in the pro- she's not the person for the prophecy and cuz we still have two more books and if that's the case then that means Talia either has to die or she has to be out of commission which could be cutting her ties from Zeus and joining the hunt okay that's my theory <laughs> but doesn't that make sense and i'm like i'm pretty sure i remember that i would not have guessed that i <laughs> So it's a spoiler. It's definitely a spoiler. Now I feel like oh whatever. It's okay. Spoilers on this pod, I guess. I don't know. Uh, because this is just a prediction. Though. It's a prediction. I'm. I can, if you'd like, for spoilers protection's sake, I'll just say I don't predict that. I did not think of that at all. I mean, I knew immediately. So one. When I saw the Hunters Were All Women, I was like, okay, this is very much on brand for Artemis and mythology, a bunch of, like, virgin maiden women who swear themselves to her service. Totally makes sense. And there's some benefit. And we find out that actually any women can join. They don't even have to just be half-bloods. Yeah. Which is cool. Which I didn't remember that. Very enlightened of Artemis. Ooh. But I, as soon as, as soon as the chapter started with Bianca makes a choice, before we even learned what the terms and conditions of being a hunter are, I was like, Bianca's going to join the hunt. Like, whatever they have to give up, she's going to do it. Yeah. Just, I was sure of that. For And then, so we learned that the hunt basically gives them immortality if they forsake a bunch of things to serve Artemis. And I knew Bianca was going to join. And then Percy gets his own private audience with Artemis. Talia doesn't get invited. It's just Percy. Again, we just know how it is. Percy is always meeting the important people. Well, it also makes sense because... Oh, well, Artemis asked Percy because he was the only person there. Because, you know, they don't like men. She only asked him because she wants to know what Dr. Thorne, the manticore, says to them. Mm -hmm. And she heard Bianca's point of view and she just wants to... She wants to hear Percy's perspective since Percy's been in the Half-Blood world. He's got to understand more what he said. So I don't think she would have mm-hmm. talked to him if, he didn't ha- if she didn't have to. Well, nice segue into Bianca. Oh, Bianca. Bianca makes the choice to join the hunt, which means she will live forever, forsake her family, and forsake adolescence to be a young maiden. Forever. What do you think, Asia? How do you feel about that choice, and would you make it? A quick note. The mortality, remember, they say is it's only, it's, they are immortal unless they fall in battle. I want to also make note of that because that means That's going to be important, I'm sure. That's going to be important because the hunters can die just oh, in yeah. battle. So I just wanted to put that. But I put in my notes that, wow, Bianca, I feel like really didn't think that through. She's what 12 or a little bit older or i think she's 12 i think she's 12 and she had no hesitation she had one conversation with artemis and she was convinced so i'm just assuming she must either really hate her brother which i don't think that's the case or she's just i think she might discuss this later in the book but if i had to guess it's just She's wanted a family for so long, and she's so tired of having to be a parent, like, have to be responsible for her brother. So she sees this 
strong group of female hunters and she wants that so badly that I think she's basically willing to give up anything, even abandoning her brother to get it. But I I still was just like, that was a very hasty decision. But I guess, you know, got to get the plot rolling. (laughs) Yeah, really jumping in. (laughs) And then the way Dionysus talks about it, he's like, well, we lost one, but we gained one. And it was like, no, they should have come back with Annabeth and two new half-bloods and said they just come back with Nico. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. I don't have to answer that question because I would not have been offered the hunt question no matter what, because I'm a guy. But I agree. I think it was a totally hasty decision. Oh, oh, you asked me if I would do it? No, I wouldn't. Well, first of all, I'm sorry, but I, I'm not swearing off love. Also, two, I, I, I also feel like in her situation, like I would have wanted to see Camp Half-Blood, see my options, weigh them, and then make a decision. Like, Artemis didn't say, you can only sign up right now. You'll In the next 10 minutes, it was like, you can make the oath at any time. So I feel like I would have seen what my options were before I made that decision. And I agree. I Again, I don't have to make this choice because I'm a guy. But, like, immortality in literature is almost always not a great thing. Because you watch people that you care about die. And you live alone. Yeah. So if you live forever, there's something that happens to you for other reasons. Like, it's not a bad thing, and some people make that choice and they're happy with it, but there are things you forsake and things you give up because you watch people that you care about die. Yeah. But anyway, let's move on from this very depressing topic. We get more Talia and Zoe tension, and I think my theory for them and this is a complete theory since I never read the book, is that they were former lovers or that they or that they shared a mutual lover and that they had some connection and that Talia felt betrayed by the fact that Zoe lived forever. So I think that that's probably... I think... <laughs> can I comment on that? Sure, you can comment. As great as that sounds... <laughs> That is just doesn't make sense because Talia, whatever age she is, she even if she had an age, she was what 12 when she became a tree. And before that, we learn a little bit about her background in a second about how her mom died like drunk driving mm-hmm. and she was I don't know if they say homeless, but she was a runaway, she ran away. And then she finds her, takes her two years to get to Camp Half-Blood. And Zoe is like 100 years old. <laughs> or older. Or older. Probably older than that based on how she speaks. But, so I feel like timeline-wise that doesn't make sense. I mean, probably. But I, <laughs> they're just, my thing is that there has to be some sort of personal, they have to have interacted before. For them to, because they know each other. Right? True. They know each other. Like, Okay, yes, they do know each other, but I think it's more of a... It was more of a moment as opposed to they spent a long period of time together, I would guess. Or maybe some... I don't know. That That's what I would guess. But also the lover thing, it's just... Unfortunately, like, I'm almost 100% sure there's 
There's no LGBTQ plus relationships in these books, unfortunately. What a but shame. Talia. Talia and Maybe Zoe. behind the scenes. You got to read between the lines. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to read between the lines until confirmed otherwise. Anyway, okay. we finally meet Apollo, who is described as hot. And I would agree with what we got of Apollo. He sounds very hot. Let's just quickly track all the gods that we've met so far. Because we, or at least of like our main 12, we don't have to include people like Iris, but we've gotten Zeus, Poseidon, Hades, Ares, Dionysus, Hermes, Artemis, and now Apollo. So that's eight. And that leaves out Hera, Demeter, Athena, and Athena, and Hephaestus. Is that right? Am I missing anyone? Yeah, that's right. We've met, we've met a lot of gods. Well, I mean... Percy, Percy has met a lot of gods. Percy gets special treatment because Percy's the favorite. Nah, he deserves it. Anyway, Apollo makes a huge revelation about Talia and reveals that she is 15 and will turn 16 in about a week on her birthday, December 22nd. Because before that, like we mentioned, it was kind of unclear whether she aged. They talk about how. Talia became a tree when she was 12, and she she was a tree, I think they said, for seven years. So she should be 19, but she definitely doesn't look 19, doesn't feel 19, so they're like, she's probably somewhere in between. And Chiron says that he thinks that she was aging slower as a tree, so that makes sense. So like we said with the prophecy, if she's turning 16 in a week, that means she has to be the half-blood from the, from the prophecy. Unless something happens to her, which is what mm-hmm. I would assume is going to happen. Yeah, that was quite a big revelation. And I wish that we got a more clear answer on it because it's going to be important. I think that we will. I think that in the next half of the book. Clear answer on On her on age. I mean, I guess, I guess that was, that was that's our definitive answer. answer. <laughs> it just felt like it was in contrast with what we got earlier. Okay, fine. Talia is turning 16 next week. Contrast. Yes. Well, Apollo is, he said he's the god of prophecy, so he's like all-knowing, so he knows for sure. Yeah. (laughs) It's like one of those things that like you just have to take it for fact. I guess you're right. I'm just going to do that. You know what I mean? But Okay. And this is what I find is a little bit of a plot hole is the fact that Percy has not thought about the prophecy at all since we've had a lot of because it's first person so we get percy's thoughts and i find it a little strange that percy has not thought about whether he or talia is gonna fill the prophecy like it has not been mentioned once in half of the book and it was literally the last line of the book of the previous book that it's either him or talia who's going to fill the prophecy so i felt like we should have gotten an answer on that like, I felt like that was a plot hole. Well, I have, I have two responses for that, or two reasons why I think it hasn't been mm-hmm. emphasized. Number one is we lo- he's lost Annabeth, and Annabeth is very important to him, so I feel like that's going to be his focus for right now until he can find her. Because, again, he's chivalrous, and I feel like doesn't mm-hmm. care so much for himself as he cares for others, and he really cares for Annabeth. So I feel like he's not going to be thinking about self-preservation wise also 
if he is, and we just found out that Talia's turning 16, he's probably like, a weight's been lifted from his shoulders because he doesn't have to do anything. But also that means, I'm just like, if it's, if the prop, if she's 16 in a week, that means that like the end of days is pretty close at hand. Like if she's turning 16 in a week, she could decide either way soon. Well, we know per- Percy gets distracted. I feel like Percy never focuses on the big picture until Annabeth's like the one to point it out. You know what yes, I mean? I feel 100%. like Percy's not necessarily a big picture person. He focuses on small things and he's like, oh, wait. And I also think he's dealing with grief. So he's kind of confused, especially because Talia, Talia and Chiron have hinted that they know more things about the prophecy mm-hmm. that Percy doesn't know. So I feel like Percy's just so used to being in the dark that he's just... Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think that I think that you're probably I still think it's a little bit of a plot hole, but I think that you're right in that Percy's not focused on everything all the time. Anyway, we can move on from prophecy discussion. Yeah. So Yeah, and then we're gonna jump to chapter five, which brings up some questions like why is Luke taking the princess Andromeda to the Panama Canal. Yeah. And specific. Is it because he's bringing the boat through the canal so he can bring it up to San Francisco? Like what's in San Francisco? I guess that's the only way to get to the. That, yeah. America built the Panama Canal. Now so they could go So that we could get through the Americas. Faster, Which is crazy rather than you going gotta go all. You gotta go still go all the way down. That's yeah. crazy. But wow. it's faster than having to go down the tip of Chile and Argentina. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But still, wow. American Traveling Empire. We just cut a hole in the ground. And we we're like, here we go. We can <laughs> ship right through. Anyway, and then we get another dream from Percy. We love Ew. the Percy dreams. So many. I and hate them all. Oh, here is another uh, prediction or slash remembering I have. But in his dream, he sees Annabeth. And Annabeth is being crushed under what Percy describes as like a dark fog. And, or no, go back, go back. Luke is being crushed by this dark fog. And Annabeth goes to save Luke because Luke's, you know, like, help me. And, and of course, Annabeth still cares for Luke. And Percy's even like, don't do it. But she does it. And she takes the weight from his shoulders. And now she's being crushed. And, of course, then Luke's like, see you later. And leaves her there. And for this, the crushing weight, I immediately, and I'm pretty sure I'm right, is this is from the myth with the Titan Atlas. I believe Atlas was a Titan. He, he was, like, one of those, like, sons of another titan. Mm-hmm. But basically, his punishment from the gods, or from Zeus, is that he has to hold up the heavens because he helped lead the titans in the battle against the Olympian, Olympian gods. So that is what Annabeth is holding up and saves Luke from holding up. I'm pretty sure that's what it is, and we'll eventually, obviously, hopefully... That'll be confirmed. But, Charles, did you think that's what that was? 
Yeah, it definitely had very clear sort of Atlas holding the weight of the world vibes. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, obviously, it's not going to be quite as literal as, because you're absolutely right. Atlas is the son of a titan, and this is his punishment. But he literally is, like, his career, like, he is the myth creation story for why Earth just sits in space, because theoretically Atlas is below it, holding it up. Mm -hmm. So I think that you're right that a dark, shadowy force is a little more of a 21st century explanation of the weight. So I, I, I totally thought of that, and wow, what a mean thing. But, you know, Luke is pretty evil, and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I want to flag two quick things that are in this chapter, because there's not a much else. One, we had a little magical fountain in Percy's cabin mm-hmm. to help him stay in touch with his family. I loved that. I thought that was super cute. And then I wanted to mention when he lays into Dionysus, he shreds him. He destroys him. When he's like, this is your civilization too. You think you would care a little more. And everyone's like, oh my God, Percy was so rude to Dionysus. I'm like, yeah, he was. And yes, he shouldn't be mean to immortal people. But also I thought that he was fully justified because Dionysus really does not care. He's so rude. He's so ambivalent. He doesn't take anything seriously. And He's literally leaving it to the mortals to to make it right. Yeah. I don't know. What did you think? But I thought Percy was totally justified. I think so, too. It just kind of sucks in this idea of kind of shows maybe how much the gods, like, really don't care about the Half-Bloods. The fact mm-hmm. that Dionysus is – his punishment is to run Camp Half-Blood, which is obviously why he's not invested in it at all because he's literally there against his will. Just like in the last book when – Tantalus replaced Chiron. He was literally somebody from the fields of punishment. Like, who made that decision? Mm-hmm. Like, it, I think it it really proves how much they just really don't truly care for their half blood children mm-hmm. because they just give them people who don't care. So that's kind of sad. It is sad. I didn't even think about it that way. I was just mad at Dionysus, but you're so right. <laughs> but when you think about it, it's always like, it's not just Dionysus the problem. It's the problem of why was he even sent there? Yeah. I mean, at least they have Chiron. Chiron cares. Chiron cares, but that's, yeah, that's, wow, that's way sad. <laughs> anyway. Getting a little too deep. <laughs> yeah, let's move on to chapter six. A uh, lot in chapter six. But we start with a great, uh, Percy gives a great description of Tartarus, where he describes it as the god's bottomless recycling bin for enemies, which I thought was super (laughs) funny. And I like that little moment of levity, because we basically just have serious stuff from now on. That's also really cute, because it's not like it's a garbage can, like, it's recycling because they come back. (laughs) Oh, see, I was just thinking compost. But yes, you're absolutely right. They don't, they come back because they're immortal and they're monsters. They come back. Yeah. That's that's extra clever. And I'm just going to mention it once because we know I love Clarice. She's gone and it gets mentioned like four or five times that she's not there and no one has heard from her. So anyway, we don't have to talk about yeah. my girl, but she's not well, there. We can just we can just say that the one I Percy asked one of the other Aries campers and he says that she's on some solo quest and she's been mm-hmm. gone for weeks. So that could be brought up later, but I know I specifically did not write down that Clarice was gone because I knew you were going to bring it up. 
It was in my notes. I was like, where's Clarice? Yeah, they did mention it a lot, though. Also, this is when Grover finds the brochure for the hunters in Annabeth's backpack. And he tells Percy that she was probably interested in joining them, which is why the hunters just seem to appear at that military school to help them because they were probably scouting Annabeth. Yeah, and that's sort of in, we're sort of led to think that that's what Annabeth was going to tell Percy at the beginning. I still don't believe it, but I could see why she'd be interested in the hunters if she is. Her dad is sort of a pretty large male presence in her life, and he's not that nice. He's pretty inconsiderate, and he does not ever take her needs or wants into account. It's always her making an effort to live with him. It's never him making an effort to be proud of her. Mm -hmm. And he's become less pleasant since he married his new wife or his new girlfriend. And that's exactly the kind of bad sort of male physical carnal behavior that Artemis swears off. So it, it makes sense that Annabeth would maybe be interested in getting away from all of that. That's so sad, though. It is sad. Her daddy issues. <laughs> she does have daddy issues. I mean, Percy has daddy issues, too, though, so. Yeah. Daddy, I haven't heard from you in two years. I can't call you. Okay. <laughs> well, moving on from that, then we get to the capture the flag game, which goes pretty terribly because Percy does decide to act a little rashly. And then we have the very exciting small fight between Percy and Talia, which I know that whole time I was just like, this is a moment I wish was like a movie scene. I'd love to see it mm -hmm. actually enacted in real life, mm -hmm. especially with Talia like shooting lightning bolts at him and Percy creating huge waves to splash her. And then out of nowhere, here walks the mummified Oracle with the green mist like flowing in to give Zoe a prophecy. Like, what What a scene. I just, I wish I could see that. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely imagining Percy, side note, I've got to, I would, like, totally imagine Major Avatar Last Airbender, like, Clarice, full-on Azula, lightning bolt, boom, boom, boom. You Percy, mean Talia? Yes. But Azula is the character. <laughs> you said Clarice, it. your favorite character. Oh, you're right. Oh, my God. Just kidding. Azula is, Talia is Azula, and... Percy is Katara, like, summoning those waves, riding those waves, major water-bending vibes. Anyway, yes, I could totally see it. Uh-huh. Let's go to the prophecy. <laughs> to the prophecy, which is given specifically to Zoe. The prophecy is, Five shall go west to the goddess in chains. One shall be lost in the land without rain. The bane of Olympus shows the trail. Campers and hunters combined prevail. The Titan's curse must one withstand, and one shall perish by a parent's hand. Okay. What do you think that means? Because I want to hear your thoughts before I go into mine. Okay, because I've pretty much dissected the whole thing. We'll see. <laughs> well, obviously, five shall go west. My prediction, which ultimately turns out correctly, is that it will be Talia, Zoe, Bianca, Grover, and Percy. And obviously the goddess in chains is Artemis. That's what they need to save. As far as the one who shall be lost in the land without rain, based on what I remember slash recall, I think 
I think Bianca's gonna die first. I think. But if not, then I would say Zoe. But my first guess is Bianca. And then they say how the Bane of Olympus shows the trail is that monster they keep talking about. That's how they're going to find it. And then campers and hunters combine prevail. Both campers and hunters have to go on this quest. As far as the Titan's curse must one withstand, I'm assuming that's going to be Percy, which is why Percy has to be on the quest. And then one shall perish by a parent's hand. If I had to guess, I would say Talia. Yeah, I definitely would have predicted those five. I think that's all pretty clear. I do think that any deaths, it's not going to be Percy or Grover. Like anyone else, I think is fair play for any of the deaths or losses. Yeah. But I don't think that Percy or Grover will die in book three. And my one thought with the parent's hand is, and this might be a little sick, but I was wondering if maybe a mortal parent or like not the Olympian parent might cause a death. Well, I didn't think about that. I don't know what the situation is for the other. But I was thinking that everyone's assuming it's going to be like Chiron couldn't go because his dad is Kronos. But I wondered if maybe like death by a parent's hand would come from not the Olympian, the god parent. Or it could be Bianca because we don't know who her parents are. We don't know her parents and she thinks she's just an orphan. Well, she's obviously not an orphan because somebody had to birth her. But, like, she has no idea who her parents are. That's something to consider. Yeah. I didn't think about it like that. But I think because I'm also... And that leaves us, what's the Titan's curse? I'm not sure. Not sure, but I'm sure it's something Percy's going to have to deal with. Yeah, fair enough. It seems like Chiron and Talia both have some ideas as to what it is. And you think they would share it with this council. Like, we call a council... And you'd think that they would share their ideas, but no. You'd think, like, Chiron says that he thinks that Percy, that Talia and Percy are both pretty hot-headed or impulsive for different reasons. And he says it afterwards. And I was like, I feel like you should have said that during the council. Like, if you had thoughts on who should go, I feel like you should have said it then. Yeah, but I feel like Chiron definitely takes more of a hands-off approach. He tries not to butt in too much. He wants them to make decisions for themselves. Also because since I feel like he knows more of the prophecy, and isn't that like a thing when you try to change prophecies, like you make things worse? For sure. Always. Well, so they end up picking Zoe, Bianca, Talia Grover, and this random Phoebe, who's one of the hunters, who we haven't really been introduced to yet. And like I said, I know Percy has to be involved. So we already know she's disposable. Also, just the fact of logically, we haven't met her. So it's unlikely she's going to be important. And the Stoll brothers from the Hermes cabin give Zoe uh, a T-shirt that Percy even is like, there's something wrong with that T-shirt. Like, but she doesn't know them. so She doesn't suspect them. And also just from the simple fact of, Percy has to be on the quest because he is the main character. The entire story is told from his point of view. If he's not on the quest, what what's going to happen in the book? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess for me, I knew that he would, like, be leaving the camp. I didn't think he, when that happened and he wasn't picked, I didn't think that he would, like, just, okay, I'm just going to sit at home. I just figured that he would have his own special storyline You know, because the protagonist doesn't always have to get everything handed to him. But 
Well, he didn't get it handed to him. He had to take it. I'm still of two minds on that, but we'll wait until we get to that. Okay. So then we just get a we get a moment of Percy talking to his mom through an iris message, which personally I found this is a scene I did not remember at all, and I just found it a little odd and a little suspicious. And maybe that was just me. But for one, she has a guy over from her class, because I think she's she's doing night school or something. And she has this random man over. And when he goes to the bathroom, that's when Percy's able to talk to her, and Percy explains the situation and everything and how he really wants to go save Annabeth. And he tells her that he wants to go, and she's just like, you should go. Yeah, it was very out of character. And the whole man over was weird, and the way she's kind of, like, got to hide him. Uh, and it just seemed way wrong for her. It just seemed not very believable. And maybe that's just because, obviously, we don't know Percy's mom that much, like that well based off of the story so far. We don't know her character very well. But it just seemed a little random. But... That's how I felt about it. And that's why I was like, is this supposed to be suspicious? Like, is this supposed to be meaning something else? Like, is she, is that man she's meeting with, like, actually some monster or something? Like, I, I was just a little confused. But then I was like, maybe I'm just overthinking it. No, I'm, I'm with you. I was definitely, like, clocked that. I was like, hmm, something's up. Yeah. And then we also get yet another dream from Percy. Ew. <laughs> and... Artemis ends up taking the weight from Annabeth to save her. And this is when we hear the general's voice. And at this point, he's not seen. And, you know, he says, like, we knew that Artemis wouldn't be able to resist saving a maiden, a young maiden. And the general is ready to just dispose of Annabeth and kill her. But Luke convinces him to keep Annabeth alive until the winter solstice, since she's still bait and all of the other half-bloods, like Percy and the whole crew, will come to save her. Which I was assuming that maybe Luke could still be saved because he obviously still cares for Annabeth because he would have just been like, yeah, just kill her. But I do think he does actually care about Annabeth and doesn't want to harm her in any way, like actually kill her. Yeah, I would agree. I think that pretty clear that that he has room for redemption. I expect we'll get it. I mean, we already talked about the Chekhov's gun of... Luke's redemption, but that was a very clear indicator. Like, if he let Annabeth die, that would be pretty irredeemable, especially for Percy. Percy would have never forgiven that. Mm -hmm. After the dream, we have the water cow and the hippocampi, and I figure the water cow will figure back because we still never got an explanation of what animal it is, so that's definitely going to come back when we're not expecting it. Yeah. And then, boom, Phoebe is injured, Zoe declares that she has fallen in the land of the without rain, which I actually really like. I think it's a great explanation because it allows Percy, like, he can join, he does sync up with the quest, but I think that it might mean that he's absolved of the quest. Like, no. <laughs> I'm almost not like, I'm like 99% sure, like, someone's going to die for sure. Someone's going to die. I oh, I still think that someone can die. I think that what I mean is that the five people that originally were blessed with the quest are the five people who the things in the quest can happen to. And Percy, because he's not part of the quest officially, 
he's not he can't be eligible for any of no. them. But he can still no. be there. <laughs> I disagree. Also But it's such a good explanation for prophecy. Well, no, because that- also this idea of the one is gonna f- has fallen in the land without rain. I think that someone is well, they say someone let me go back to the prophecy. It says one shall be lost. Phoebe did not get lost. She got sick. They said she's going to be fine. So that alone, I feel like that didn't happen to her, which means someone, and by loss, I'm saying someone is going to die or they're going to be lost at sea, like something like that. So I just feel like there's no way, like to me, that doesn't make any sense. I guess for me, what I think that made me think that is because that's such a good interpretation of prophecy that Zoe gives where she's like, you don't know anything about prophecy. Like they, it doesn't rain in here unless they want it to. And so, for all we know, this could be the land without rain. That was really smart of her. I Maybe you're right. But that's... But she's talking to Bianca, who knows nothing. I feel like she literally just said that because she doesn't want to work with Percy, and she's just desperate to save Artemis. So she doesn't want to waste any more time. So And she doesn't want to work with any more campers. Like, she would have preferred to take all hunters. So, yeah, I don't think Zoe, by saying that, it was manipulative. Like, I, she was saying that to Bianca, so Bianca would stop talking about it. Okay, fair enough. I I concede that we'll, I'm wrong. We'll, get, but we'll figure it out in the second half sure. of the book. It's not whether you're wrong, because we don't know for sure yet. I don't know that yeah. for sure. But I'm just assuming that. I guess for I me, I just appreciated that she didn't interpret the prophecy, like, directly as someone's going to die in the desert. Because everyone else is like, someone's going to die in the desert. Of Like, what does it, Charles Beckendorf literally says, don't go to the desert. And I was like... I liked that she interpreted prophecy where she was like, the whole point of it is that it's murky. And I guess you're right that she probably was just trying to like shut Bianca up. But I thought that it was also very sage of her to note it. I mean, we're not going to deny it. Zoe's smart. She is smart and pretty. (gasps) Well, anyway, moving on, Percy ends up following them on his super cool Pegasus named Blackjack. And he has a brief meeting with Mr. D, Dionysus, on the Chrysler building. And in their conversation, Dionysus com- kind of suggests that Zoe has a specific issue with he- not just heroes, but it almost sounds like she has a specific issue with heroes that are children of Poseidon, probably. And that maybe that's why Zoe doesn't like Percy. Did you see, did you get that? That's what I got from that conversation. I definitely got that she doesn't like heroes. That was evidently clear from her personality and also the conversation. I didn't notice necessarily think that it has, that it could be Poseidon, but it would make sense because she doesn't, she definitely does actively not like Percy. Like the idea of bringing Percy on the quest was abhorrent to her. She's like, I won't be around a man. And then Grover's like, I am a man. And she's like, not really. And I was like, for all intents and purposes, he's male. Like, come on. Like, just because he's a satyr doesn't mean he's not male. Like, like that was circuitous logic that she used to avoid Percy. Yeah. I think she, her issue, which this is where, like I said, she's been around for a very long time. I think it's that she had some kind of relationship with the hero like in the myths where like well how Dionysus his example he explains 
I don't remember what Sherry said. This hero, he this maiden helps him out and everything, and then she, he just ends up tossing her aside. And I feel like that's what happened to Zoe with the hero. Yeah, that would make sense. That's why that would ex- also explain why she'd be interested in joining Artemis. Mm-hmm. And so then that gets us to when Percy sneaks into the Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C., where he's following Dr. Thorne. And this is where we see Luke, who looks terrible. And we finally get to see and get a description of the general. Yeah. And speaking of which, I don't know if I've said this on the show, but I'm originally from the Virginia area. I'm from Northern Virginia in the D.C. area. And Asia and I have been to D.C. together. And I don't know. I don't think we've ever been to the Natural History Museum together. But it's it's a good museum. But it's it's on the mall. It's a Smithsonian Museum. And I... I, I always get excited when we go to a place like this is where I'm from and we'll go to a much more recognizable museum in like two seconds. So, but how I said, how we said Luke looks terrible, which my prediction slash recollection is I think Luke has an empathy link with Kronos, which is gross. I, I did not think of that. That was disgusting. I, ooh, oh, ooh. But it makes perfect sense, especially because Luke does look awful. And then they use the wrong teeth and they get cute little kittens on the first try when they're trying to summon evil things. They get kittens, which I thought was adorable. Which they do end up then getting the right teeth, which it's dinosaur teeth but they don't turn into dinosaurs. They turn into skeleton warriors, which is kind of... I thought they were going to summon dinosaurs. I was sure of it. (laughs) Well, I didn't think they were going to summon dinosaurs, so I didn't think that made sense. But then when they brought the warriors up, I was like, didn't they say they grabbed dinosaur teeth? Like, I was just a little confused. But anyway, that brings us to the final chapter, which is the big fight with the giant lion in the Air and Space Museum. And Air and Space, which is probably one of the most recognizable DC museums, Night the Museum. Mm-hmm. I think it's the first one that takes place. No, it's the second one that's in DC. The first one is in New York and the second one is in DC, right? I think. I'm not as familiar with those movies, but sure. I'm not either, but I know that, like, obviously, one of them takes place and yeah. they go into Air and Space. And Air and Space is also like that sort of stereotypical, like, fun. like, field trip for elementary schoolers to, like, it's such a fun museum. Have we been to the Air and Space together? Because we've definitely been to museums together in D.C. The Air and Space was the one I went alone when you abandoned me. Okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to bring up how how does Bianca all of a sudden know archery? And with extreme accuracy. Like, she's been a hunter for how, what, two days? Okay. You know what? Percy got sword fighting down pretty quickly. So but Percy's a Percy's a son of the big three. I you cannot that use that as an excuse for everything for Percy. <laughs> She's also a demigod. She's also a half blood. She gave that up when she became a hunter. Yeah, but she's got a lot of talent and potential, and okay. it seems like the hunter Juju is pretty strong. Yeah, I guess. 
<laughs> but I will agree that it's like she gets she's basically as good as Zoe within three days, which is like, pretty crazy. Shoot. Like that would make me want to become a hunter. You're just a great archer and immortal. And get and to wear get like cool. silver silk all the time. Like that's the yeah, dream. Yeah, braid your hair like be Katniss Everdeen all the time. Sounds great. Yeah, for real. I also noted that I liked how Percy kind of proves his a little bit of his intelligence when it comes to defeating monsters. Like with this lion, he kind of decides to think outside of the box. Definitely would agree. I definitely agree that it's sort of a a trope in fantasy and in literature, like young adult literature, where like the out of the box character has an approach that works super well because they can solve problems because insiders can't see them because Zoe is so used to just everything can be solved because she's such a good archer. She can't see beyond that. And I'm sure that as we go into other books that are sort of in similar age ranges, we'll see that. I mean, we even get that with like PETA and the Hunger Games, the fact that he paints himself to disguise himself. It's because he's, and none of the careers can ever track him down because it would never occur to them because they've been training to fight for I'm sorry if I'm getting into another series already, but the careers have been trained to fight their whole lives. So they think that's how they're going to win in the arena. Yeah. And PETA is very much not in that brand. So he thinks outside of the box to hide himself, which lets him survive for as long as he does. Anyway, I think that's like a trope that we'll definitely see in our sort of out of the box heroes. Yeah, and then because of Percy's action, Zoe actually appears to be pretty impressed by his quick thinking, and she officially accepts him as part of their quest as they see the skeleton warriors coming their way. Okay, I know we sort of talked about this earlier, so I guess when I read that, I still wanted to kind of have Percy be ancillary to the quest, but I think that you are probably... Ancillary, like an additional, like not part of the quest, just like tacked on. You just hate Percy. I don't hate Percy. No, I wanted Percy to be special. I want Percy to have his own track. I wanted Percy to be above the quest. I didn't want him to be eligible for death. I didn't want him to be cursed by the Titan. Percy's not eligible for death. He's not going to die. Anyway, I wanted the best for Percy. And I will accept that he is just part of the quest. Great. Happy for Percy. I'm glad that you have your own ideas. They're just wrong. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just, again, I, I really got, I know that you, that Bianca, the whole thing with Zoe and Bianca was just Bianca, uh, Zoe trying to shut Bianca up, fine. But I guess I really liked that explanation and I felt like that would have been a whole lever, another layer of complexity. Remember, these books are more simple. They're pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Okay. Well, let's just we'll see in the second half of the book. Yes. But I'm just like, I'm pretty sure I, he's a part of the prophecy. And like I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure someone's going to die. So that would take out the part of like Phoebe took that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm pretty sure somebody dies. Like I think. Yeah. Do we have predictions on death? I already said, I think Bianca and Zoe are going to die. And then I think Talia is going to become a hunter, Mm -hmm. which will relieve her of her responsibility for the prophecy because she'll denounce Zeus as her father. 
I, like I said earlier, I think those are my three that are eligible for death or out of commissionness or tree conversion or whatever you want to call it. I think that the three yeah. of them are like, I don't think Percy or Grover will die. And I think that's not a, yet. Yeah. Cause we got to get Annabeth back. We got to have our trio again. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to end. We've thoroughly discussed this prophecy. I think we should move on. Yes, definitely. And we will be back next week with the final chapters from Percy Jackson and the Titan's Curse. We'll be reading the second half, so chapters 11 through 20 for next week. So if you're reading along, you can go ahead and read to the end of the book. And if you have any predictions or theories or questions, remember that you can always stay in touch with us or about really anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network generally on Twitter at Joy Nerd Party or on Instagram at The Nerd Party. To find me personally, I'm at C.E. Sheeland on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Asia Boney on Twitter and at Asia.Bonia on Instagram. Remember that we're a new podcast, so make sure that if you enjoyed this, that you rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. And of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. Yes, hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you listen to. And then have a good one. We'll see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.